Morning Go Pizza presents S S D P P P the Steve Dangle Podcast with your hosts Steve Dangle, Adam Wilde, and Jesse Blake. Let's go! Okay, guys, we're back. Chris Johnston is back, and Hockey is back. Hey. Let's get excited. Let's get ready. Now, Chris, you just got off the phone with Kyle Dubas. I guess you, you and him just have like conversations directly all the time. Uh, actually, it was a press conference in this particular case, but we actually delayed the recording of the show uh, just so we could hear, you know, what Kyle Dubas had to say. And I think that obviously there's a couple things in there uh, that you mentioned that probably we're probably going to hit a little bit later on in the show. But kind of the the Coles notes are. Um, a lot of people kind of raised their hand and I, I guess raised an eyebrow when Nick Patan was let off, uh, left off the uh, training camp roster. It looks like he's back on in place of Matt Hollowell. Uh, what else did you find out from Kyle Dubas? Because it was nothing crazy, was it? I, I wouldn't say anything crazy, but there's some news. It's been a while since we've spoken with him. Uh, you know, Austin Matthews is fit and healthy and been skating in Toronto. He's going to be there Monday for the first day of training camp. Uh, Nick Robertson also will be there, and it it certainly sounds as though he's going to get a fair shot to play games in this playoffs, that uh, just because he's young, he's 18, just because he has an entry-level contract that potentially the first year could be burned if he were to play 10 games, I don't think those things will get in his way of, you know, potentially playing for the Leafs this summer, assuming that he earns his way onto the team. And, and, you know, Kyle kind of pointed out that, uh, you know, as camp goes along, they're going to have some scrimmages and that, that that's the, the kind of area where they'll look to see, where, you know, how Robertson stacks up against men, basically. Because if you remember, guys, he didn't even skate in an exhibition game back in, in September when, when he went to camp. And so it's, uh, you know, he's had a pretty spectacular year in the OHL since. I would suggest with Andreas Janssen's injury, um, you know, that there's potentially some room there on the left side for him to play if he, if he does perform well in camp. So that will be something we'll be watching closely. And, and as for Janssen, uh, he's still rehabbing after that knee surgery he had in February. He's actually back home in Sweden right now. But the Leafs feel if they advance past the best of five with Columbus, advance past the first round, that, that you know, somewhere around the start of the second round, he could be eligible to, to rejoin them if uh, they get that far couple of big ifs there. Now, we will, we will get into that a little bit later in the show because uh, obviously we do want to talk Toronto Maple Leafs and that sort of thing. But I think we got to start uh, with the start of the negotiations for this. So we, you know, uh, like jumping right in here, we've got 52 games in nine days to start off the season as of August 1st, which is unbelievable. Um, and I guess, you know, from the beginning here, we figured – uh, there would be a deal in place for the players to play this year. And we knew that there was some sort of labor, labor talk coming either this year or three years from now had they decided to extend it based on the previous deal. But, you know, all of a sudden they come out with a deal that's six years of labor peace. They do a full extension uh, and it includes the NHLers going to uh, the Olympics, which everybody wanted as well. And, and it's, it's uh, maybe the owners didn't want it, but the players wanted it. Um, how did that conversation start? When did they say – Let's not just worry about this season. Let's get the next six sorted out. Well, there's two things here. I think that the fact that the NHL and the NHLPA met right through last summer, that being summer 2019, uh, was huge here because, you know, I, I think it's not so much that they had any the deal done per se, but they'd had extensive talks about what an extension might look like. I think that those talks went very well. You know, as we know in the past, these two sides don't always have a good history of being able to work through issues together. It's It's – 
you know, much more often than not been you versus me. You're wrong. We're right. This, this, that. <laughs> yep. Everyone misses six months of hockey or more. And then we finally do a deal under duress. You know, I think the fact that last summer went well really set a good tone for these talks. And then really the, the, the key moment is that um, in the final week or so before the season went on pause, the PA and the league were on the phone with each other 24-7. I think that they recognized a few days out where this was likely headed in terms of the season having to be stopped, in terms of massive uncertainty, in terms of a huge blow to the, to the league's business, as with you know, most other major companies, both here and around the world, uh, you know, due to this pandemic. And instead of adopting that, I'm right, you're wrong, trying to fight over the $1 between them, you know, I think that they focused on ways that they could best navigate these challenging times together. Instead of going against each other, they went and, and tried to, to, to find the way around the pandemic. And, and so, you know, I got the sense that this was far more of a, a shared journey than, than even a negotiation. You know, it's not to say at the end that there aren't some back and forth on some of the smaller items that, that are included in this deal. Um, but this was a very peaceful process. It was not an easy process because let's face it, what's underpinning this agreement and what's under underpinned really the, the talks is there's, there's no revenue. You know, this, this league uh, was going to make 4.8 to $5 billion in the 2019-20 season had everything just went the way we're used to it going. Well, no one knows a, whether they'll even be able to play this playoffs. It's looking more hopeful. I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic and, and what that'll mean. And then next year, you know, how many people are going to be able to buy tickets and come into games? You know, I think that's still a very open question. What happens the year after that? I mean, we're still – this is going to be a couple of years. I think we're all pretty clear that this isn't going to be normal or, or what we, we used to think of as normal at the start of the 2019-20 season. And so, basically, they're, they made a deal about how can we split less money than what we're used to amongst each other most fairly. And, and I, I think they've come up with a really creative solution under the circumstances. Uh, I'm – Totally been in the bag for international hockey. Love best on best competition. And, I, and so I'm very pleased that we're going to see this next generation of stars get a chance to represent their countries in that kind of environment in the 2022 Olympics. And, you know, I, I kind of wonder, is this just a moment in time or is this maybe the start of what could be a, a peaceful next 20 years? I mean, that's that's what happened in baseball. They lost the 1995, sorry, 1994 World Series uh, to a strike. And really until right now, they're, they're finally having a, a fight when it comes to labor talks, but they've had about 25, 26 years in that sport of, of labor peace. I mean, perhaps this is the start of much better days, days unlike those that we've known, you know, any of us that have been following the last decade or two. I'm loving the optimism, CJ. I'm, I'm loving I'm feeling it. good right now, man. Are you? I'm kind of gushing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, I love okay. it. Do you, do you have a feeling of, uh, because I know as a fan, a lot of people are like, oh, this is awesome. I'm just going to sit on my couch for nine straight days. But covering the first round of the playoffs is – it's a war, usually. It's, 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 it's complete calamity. And the precursor to that is going to be 52 games in nine days. How are you feeling about covering all that nonsense? Well, I'm excited to get off my couch. You know, I'm excited to get out of my house. And, and you know, I love where I live, but I live in a condo downtown Toronto. And, and – you know, I certainly can't complain. I still have a good life even in pandemic times than before, but I'm used to traveling and moving in general. And so for four months to, to be inside my 900 square feet working on the phone, obviously, you know, my partner is doing the same. It's, it's, it's been different. It's been a huge change in our lives. Uh, I think probably like most people listening. So I'm excited by the idea, even if it's going to be weird and different and no fans and I'll be wearing a mask and getting my temperature checked that I'm going to, you know, even as of tomorrow morning, 
go back to the least practice rink and watch their first day of the, the summer training camp. And, and then, you know, as we get into the games, I mean, obviously that's just going to be a, a sugar high, I think, uh, for the first few days of watching all that. Um, it'll be long, especially if we get some overtime and, you know, have one of these eight o'clock local starts, maybe not start till nine or nine thirty. I don't know exactly how they're going to handle that, but um, you know, I, I don't really care whatever happens next. I'm not complaining. If, if what happens next is that everyone stays healthy and safe, that they're able to play these games. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be happy no matter what it demands of me and, and my attention span. Have they announced the rules for media members in the bubble? Like how many of you guys will be in there? It's going to be a limited number. You know, the league hasn't told us specifically what that number is. I probably got ahead of myself here a little too, Jesse, because we haven't even actually officially done the accreditation process. I guess there's, there's probably a world where I, I don't get an accreditation. You know, I, I don't know how that'll work exactly. But what we do know is that as a media member, when it comes to the game phase, you're not in the bubble with the players. You know, you don't have to stay at a hotel. You're, you're not subject to daily testing the way they are. And then the flip side of that is you never get anywhere near them. And so when you come to the game, uh, if you do get accredited, you go to a very specific entrance, you do have a temperature check there, you have to report any symptoms, assuming you're, you're deemed to be healthy, you get in the building, you go watch from a very designated area, and then you leave. And, and any sort of media availability is done on Zoom or, or one of the other platforms, and, and you never get anywhere close to someone that's living the daily life in the bubble. So uh, it, it'll be, I just think it'll be most weird, honestly, probably for fans on TV, the same, just to be in an arena for a game that matters and have no atmosphere. Uh, I'm very curious to see, will they actually pipe the music into the building? Like will we hear it? Those of us in there, uh, how, how is that going to feel? Are we going to be able to hear what the players are saying on the ice? I mean, I think even if you're in the upper bowl, which it sounds like media members probably will be, you know, you probably will still be able to hear it. it's going to be an empty building for the most part. So, uh, it's going to be wild, but I mean, there were so many days during this, and, and I do pride myself on being optimistic, where I thought we'd never even get here. And now it does feel as though, like, this is something that's actually going to happen. Uh, I'm very fortunate it's going to happen, you know, a kilometer and a half from my front door. And, and so, you know, I just have to walk to Scotiabank Arena, hopefully, and hopefully they let me in and we get to watch and see what happens. So, you know, you talked about how the NHL and, and, uh, and the NHLPA – found a compromise. Uh, and I know, I know CBA talk isn't everybody's favorite thing, but we do need to kind of cover this uh, because I, I want, I'm curious about this deal as in like, what's different about it? What really changed? Did anything really major change? The biggest change, and I'll try to use not too many annoying terms that make your eyes glaze over your okay. ears. <laughs> I appreciate that. Have everyone who's listening to look at their phones and try to see what's going on on Twitter or whatever. But um, essentially in the past, the, since 2013, the, the league and players have split the, the money 50-50 in terms of what was brought in for a year. And the way this is going to work now is next season, the, the league isn't anticipating that very many revenues are going to be brought in. So if they had to continue to split that 50-50 and you were someone like, say, Austin Matthews, who is due to make $15 million, you know, you're, you would have most of that money taken away because 50% of the players' overall pot wasn't going to be enough to cover that. And so what this has done essentially in very general terms is next year, the players are going to receive more than 50% of the overall revenues because the owners want to more closely honor those contracts, which obviously 
is, is beneficial to those players, especially the, the, the stars of our game, whether it's Connor McDavid, Marner, Matthews. You know, all these guys have massive deals. Leon Dreisaitl are owed a lot of money next year. So they're going to get to keep more of their money. And then over the course of the agreement, as the business comes back and looks more normal, the owners will get paid back through a variety of mechanisms. And so essentially, I think the owners are kind of fronting them a little bit of money at the start, and then the players are going to give some back over time. And then you know, within the CBA agreement, obviously, there's, there's some small rule tweaks and, and changes to some of the smaller rules. But I, I would say that that is fundamentally where the, the compromise was, is that they had to find a system where we didn't just say, okay, it's the end of the year. You know, here's, we, we, we made 4.8 billion, you know, players, you get 2.4 billion owners, you get 2.4. They've had to come up with some other ways to, to make the money work because honestly players were going to have to play for almost free next year, likely where revenues are going to go if this is going to happen. And so obviously that wasn't going to work. I mean, you, it's, it's hard enough, you know, and, and we can get into this, I'm sure more, but you know, players are, that are playing even in this summer's playoffs and, and as much as we're excited about it, we shouldn't look past. There's a real human cost to this. I mean, these guys are being asking up a lot of personal freedoms. Obviously, we know some players aren't totally, for a variety of reasons, comfortable with it, and, and some are opting out. But, you know, we shouldn't look past how difficult this will probably be, especially for those whose teams go on a long playoff run and have to spend a considerable amount of time uh, living, on, you know, with, with not a lot of freedoms, not even the ability really to go walk around a corner with a coffee or, or you know, just do the stuff that even in, in lockdown times we all are, are able to do at this point. Um, you know, I think in exchange for doing that, the players had to know that the next couple of years that they would be looked after too. And so, you know, they, they found a way to do that with the deal, uh, you know, by everyone's own admission, Don Fear said this to reporters on Saturday, it's, it's not perfect. There's parts of the agreement you might look at and say, well, that, that doesn't really make sense. But I think everything makes sense under the, under the, the whole fact that this was signed in 2020. And as we know, in 2020, very little does make sense. So you, you touched on uh, some of the issues, obviously. I, I think only like half a dozen players have opted, uh, opted out. Uh, but even though 79% of players voted to approve the return to play, is that right? Um, that's right. That's about, what was it, like 175 still voted against it. Do you know what their objections were, some of them? Well, I, from what I've heard secondhand, there is a number. I mean, some just didn't like the CBA. And so it's not even connected to return to play, but they might not have, they might have felt that the players could maybe push for more, um, you know, at this particular time because they do have some, um, you know, they have some leverage. I, I, I do think that there are other teams out there, though, where players are going to come, but for a variety of reasons, they would prefer not to be playing under these circumstances. And, you know, obviously every player did get the right, at least through Monday night, to, to opt out without any penalty. They don't have to provide a reason. They don't have to explain to anybody. They just have to tell the team, the PA and league that they're not coming. But, you know, I think it's hard for some to do that who, who might still not, you know, it, that it not be their preference. And so, you know, I've heard of some, some older players that voted against this, you know, guys with families who think it's going to be difficult. I mean, basically it's going to be six weeks, give or take, in the bubble for any team that plays through the second round without seeing your family. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's, there's guys out there like you, Steve, I don't know if we can talk about this, who might have newborns yep. or, you yep. know, that, that, that are dealing with that and don't want to leave that all to their partner or, or, you know, what have you, or put that burden on their family, extended family, what have you. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of the opposition came from those type of people. I know some specific teams didn't have, you know, weren't that fond of it. You know, Montreal, for example, which was the, the 24th of 24 teams included in this. I do think that there's some members of the team that aren't entirely enamored with the idea they're being brought back to play this. I mean, remember this was a year where the Habs traded players away at the deadline. 
as part of a looking ahead, rebuild, retool on the fly kind of approach. And, and you know, they get a pretty tough matchup in, in the qualifying round against Pittsburgh. Um, and But, you know, those players are still going to play, I guess. So, you know, th- there's all kinds of reasons for it. Um, I do think that there's more players that probably aren't thrilled with playing that, that are still going to go ahead with it just because, you know, that that's what people do at work. Everyone's got to pull their load, um, but they did have an ability to try to vote against it. And so, you know, I think we'll still see a few more opt-outs uh, before Monday's deadline, but it's not going to be, evidently, it's not going to be a great number unless there's a huge rush at the last minute. Right, right. Um, so with the whole hub city concept, like, what do you know about, I mean, other, I mean, you kind of gave us a little bit of a, uh, a glimpse into what your life's going to be like, but my thing has always been like, they're going to be stuck in these two hotels, at least in Toronto. And I guess Edmonton's somewhat the same in a lockdown campus, like atmosphere, sort of like you being at university only you can't leave. And you know, what's their, what's a player's day to day going to look like if they're at hotel X in Toronto? Uh, like what, what can, what can they do? How do they eat? What, where do they go? What, you know, where do they work out? What's, what's available to them? Eating's probably the easiest part. Funny you mentioned that because uh, they, they have a lot of options on this front, which, I mean, I think, look, the league is doing everything it can while trying to execute this safely to, to make sure the players are comfortable or are feeling as good as they can about this while recognizing that's probably impossible. But for eating, teams are going to each have a conference room area where they do team meetings, which, which would happen normally on the road as well. And there'll be catered meals in there at certain times. If that doesn't uh, suit your fancy, you can order anything you want from room service within the hotel. That that's just, you know, at any point in time, you're in your room, you want something, it's on the menu, it's yours. If that isn't good enough, my understanding is there's going to be some food trucks and other things brought in oh. you know, probably on the, the CNE grounds in Toronto, um, you know, where, which is where Hotel X is. And so there'll be some extra options outside for that. And if that isn't even good enough, there's <laughs> one more and, and you can order from local restaurants. It won't be, I don't suspect like an Uber Eats kind of vibe for the rest of us, but it gets delivered to a specific area of, of the secure zone as it's called the bubble. Uh, all the food and packaging will be wiped down or the packaging will be wiped down and then it will be passed on to the player. But wow. you know, the, the players, I mean, you could put on the freshman 15 here if it was me or you going in there, but <laughs> I, I'm sure these guys are, are probably going to be a little more mindful of that, but, but eating is not going to be an issue. Everything else is going to be more complicated though. I mean, even down to the fact the hotel X in Toronto, which is, is the, the best hotel, the primary hotel that's being used in the Toronto hub, you know, it's got a great workout facility and everything. But everything has to be scheduled because not only do you have players, you know, staying there from five teams, the top five teams in Eastern Conference by points percentage, you also have staff members and and potentially some NHL staff, and they don't want those people in the workout room at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so everything like that has to be scheduled, for example. Uh, You know, there's a whole protocol about how you use the elevator. Uh, Fingers aren't allowed. You're supposed to use a knuckle or your arm, your elbow, what have you. To, to hit elevator buttons there. I mean, the list goes on and on. We're talking about a hundred pages almost of, of legalese, you know, a lot of it's to do with testing protocol and some other things that aren't just about how you live your life. But, you know, in reading that when it came out a week or so ago, guys, that's, that's where it hit me. Like, yes, these guys are obviously very fortunate to do what they do in their life. It's cool to get a chance to play for the Stanley cup, but this, this is not anything like you or I have ever lived under. I mean, it's, it's, 
I don't want to give us too much of a headline, but it's like five-star jail, kind of. I mean, you, <laughs> to be truthful, I mean, you can't. Oh, there's the name of the show right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But you, oh can't, my God. you can't just leave is the point. I mean, right. the, only, the only accepted reasons to leave is if you have some sort of medical issue or appointment with a doctor that's, that's outside the zone. Uh, there will be some team outings on days off, for example, maybe going golfing or something like that. So the teams will leave the bubble then, the secure zone. Obviously, they leave when they go play games or practice because the, the Leafs are using their practice rink at Etobicoke and, and the game rink at Scotiabank for games. And beyond that, there is a special exemption for anyone who has you know, a, a birth in the family, a death in the family, some extenuating circumstances where they can leave you know, for a couple days if their GM gives them permission to. And then they, when they come back, they have to isolate for a period of at least four days and produce some negative tests. But the, the point is, is that even if you're the Maple Leafs and, and, you're, and their secure zone is at the, the Royal York downtown, and, and even if your family lives 15 minutes north of there, I mean, you can't go up and see them. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be a fence. Maybe you can view them through the fence. I, I don't know if that's allowed. It wasn't accounted for in the rules. But, I mean, it's going to be a very weird experience. And I think that, that it will be difficult. I think that the teams that find a way to embrace the, the, the suck, the, embrace the, you know, how bad, how it, it's going to be a drag some days, I think there's just no way around that, are probably the ones that are going to have the best chance of success because the playoffs are always a mental battle as much as a physical one. And I think the mental strain here will be huge, even on the teams in their own cities. I think you could even make a case if it could be worse almost if you're in your own city, but you can't do the stuff you normally do in that city and you mm. feel more locked in. Um, and so this is – no one knows what's going to happen. I mean, we can't say what's going to happen on the ice, off the ice. Matthew Snyder, who works for the NHLPA, said this is like going to Mars. Nobody's ever been there. Like, we don't know what this is. And I, I thought that was the best analogy I've heard because – uh, it's going to be fascinating on all kinds of levels. And as I say, my main hope here is that everyone gets through it safely. And, and uh, you know, we, we just get to enjoy some good hockey. Well, Toronto and Edmonton have been called worse things. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, there were some headlines made uh, with um, – so the Blue Jays are at the Rogers Centre. And, yeah. and uh, I saw Nazem Kadri respond to this. I want to say a couple of NHL uh, – other NHL players did too. If players are caught outside of that building, they could be fined, I think it was three quarters of a million dollars and face potential jail time. That's a government thing though, right? That's of course, of right. But does that, have, does that have any application to the NHL players at all? It does because essentially that's a federal government rule about breaking quarantine. Right. And so obviously okay. that's at the extreme end. I'm not, I mean, I, I'm certainly not qualified to say even in how likely it is that would happen, but that is the absolute potential fines I think when it comes from the NHL, though, you know, part of what can happen is you're just kicked out of the tournament right away. You know, you essentially lose your job. You let your team down. Um, you know, that wouldn't be nice either. And on top of that, the teams are responsible for their players. So the teams can be fined several hundred thousand dollars as well uh, and dock draft picks if this happens. So I think we can call this safely about the worst thing you could do. You know, if anyone gets photographed during this period while they're still in competition at a bar or even at a coffee shop, even if they're not doing it wrong, you're doing something wrong if you've left a secure zone, not for one of the reasons I mentioned previously, if you've just done so on your own. And, you know, that's why I kind of called it five-star prison is because you're made to stay there. You know, that's just, that's how this is designed. That's the only way they can, can best keep everyone insulated from those on the outside. And I think that's the part that'll be hard. I, I, you know, it's, it's, that's why what they do will be important. We haven't seen, like in the NBA, I know they're going to show movies that haven't been released yet. They're going to have concerts 
in their bubble. They're going to they have all kinds of things planned to try to, to give players something to do because the truth is, outside of when you're playing, there's a lot of time. You know, I think it's something NHL players battle in general. It's probably why so many of them are playing video games with, with you, Dangle, because they, <laughs> they, they, have, they have the time to do it, right? And, and so it's one thing to do that in the comfort of your own home. It's another thing to do that when you can't leave the Hotel X, even as nice as it is. And so, um, you know, I think the league is going to do whatever it can to, to keep everyone happy. But this, this, this will probably be a difficult mental challenge, as I say, for, for some players that uh, have never done anything like this before. So tomorrow training camps begin. Does that mean every player is going to be uh, flown into their team's home city for training camps? Or how does exactly. that work? Yeah, everyone is in their home market. And so we've got 18 teams in the U.S. And at this point, it's, it's going to be called phase three uh, of the NHL protocol. Everyone can still go home at that point. And, and you're still allowed to go to the grocery store or a restaurant or a bar or what have you. Anywhere, obviously, that it's allowed in, in the area that you're in. And so this is actually the most concerning period, I believe, yeah, no from a spread of the, the COVID-19 virus among the NHL population kind of thing. Because, you know, what the league needs to do to not have these next two weeks make all the wrong headlines is, is try to avoid an outbreak. They, they know there's going to be positive tests, but it's about if, if it... Uh, oh, there, there you go. Oh, you're back. Sorry, you died mid-sentence there. Just to pick it up, Chris, you do expect that, I mean, the NHL expects there's going to be positive cases. Because every time we've seen a positive case, people are like, well, I'll throw the season and the garbage over. So we should expect to see positive cases, especially the way things are going in the States. Um, how does the NHL handle that so that they don't actually have to throw the season in the garbage and that they can move into stage four of this, which is actually playing? There's going to be a lot of positive cases. You know, I hate to be the one to say that, but I, I don't see any other way around it. You, you had 47% of the league that's returning players in the league haven't been tested regularly yet by their teams. And that's going to happen now starting at training camp. And so you know, obviously a, a number of people testing anywhere in the world, not just in, you know, professional athletes are asymptomatic. And so there's going to be players that have this and don't even realize, and, and they're soon about to realize because they'll be tested. And so the key for the NHL during this phase where everyone is back in their, their home cities where they can mingle is that anyone who gets a, a positive test is immediately isolated from the team, uh, that they follow the protocol laid out, which involves having to produce multiple negative tests before you can, you know, come back and skate or, or work out or be around that team and to make sure that there's no outbreak. That, that's the key here uh, to, to seeing this, this season finish is, is preventing a scenario where 15 guys on one team all get this. You know, I'm not saying that would cancel the whole playoffs because we've already seen the MLS and its summer tournament to rule out two teams that, that, that had, uh, you know, a high number of positive tests among the, their players, Dallas and Nashville. And I tried asking Gary Bettman about this on Saturday. Would the league, would the NHL consider that if one team had to be ruled out and he didn't answer the question? So I don't have that answer, but I, I, can't, I can't say 100% that they won't. Um, but, you know, clearly the, the biggest fear here is, is not so much positive tests. I mean, obviously we'd all prefer that everyone was healthy. No one had this, but, I mean, it's just not realistic of where we're at right now. And so with a lot of players now being tested, I think it's – it's about following the protocols, keeping distance from each other, and then obviously any positives are immediately removed, uh, you know, from the environment around their teammates. Baby, I, I, it's it's funny to me. It's really funny to me that they didn't just bring everybody to the hub cities now, yeah. Because especially if you look at like the the Lightning, right? What we've seen in Tampa, uh, what we've seen in the in the Florida area, like it's it's um, um, relative to their population, it's two hundred fifty thousand people that have it. But, you know, overnight they had 15,000 new cases, right? 
um, or that's 15,000 new positive tests. Those are just people that have been tested. Right. And so it's kind of, and you know, and obviously we saw what happened with Austin and Arizona. Um, you know, a lot of these Southern states, Texas are really struggling with this. Um, and because they have governments that for whatever reason, political will will not shut them down, won't go through the, the protocol. So what happens when, you know, when these, these teams from, you know, cause I, I believe the coyotes are going to be in, uh, they, you know, are they, do you know of any particular special, um, above and beyond measures that those specific teams might be taking, um, to say, okay, guys, like we got to make sure that we're able to make it into this tournament. We're locking you down even, even though you're at home. Well, I think Tampa has taken some measures. For example, there's, there's a couple hotels right around, you know, their game rink in, in downtown Tampa there. Happens to be owned by Jeff Finnick, who runs the Lightning. Oh. And, you know, some players that don't have permanent residences there are kind of being able to create a little bit of a mini bubble in that environment. I think all players, though, honestly, not just the ones in, in the hotspot areas, are, are being sort of warned or told during this period to exercise extreme caution. I mean, teams are, are even obligated to go get your groceries or do errands for you during this phase if you want. And, and it's not because they just because they want to make your life easier. They want to limit the times that you have to be somewhere where you could you know, risk exposure to the coronavirus. So, you know, I think that there's a huge load right now being placed on players' shoulders because they're not in that bubble environment. They're not, uh, you know, being segregated away, so to speak. But, you know, you don't want to be the one that brings us into the dressing room, you know, a week or two before the playoffs start. And, and so, you know, there's a lot being asked of these guys. My guess is the vast, vast majority of players returning right now are basically going to the arena, going to their house, and that's about it. And, okay. and getting getting errands or what have you done either by family members or, or the service that the teams are offering. And, and so it's, it's a bit of a self-imposed bubble in your own life now for most players. But, you know, I think everyone understands the importance of this because – it literally could be one outbreak that threatens the whole thing. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, so you, you have an article up at sportsnet.ca about a doomsday scenario. Like what happens if there is? Um, Bill Daly had a statement, I believe, in the article, Chris, about, uh, and forgive me if I'm wrong or if I'm misquoting this, but uh, the fact is we're going to be taking advice from the experts, the medical people, in terms of what is and isn't appropriate as we move forward and understanding COVID-19 out there and what the risks are. Uh, nothing more than that. Obviously, we're living day to day here and we'll see what happens. Do you get the sense that the NHL has a plan at all for something like that? Or is it sort of like we, it's tough to react to something they've never seen before? They've got a plan. They're just okay. not telling anybody what it okay. is. Okay. And, and, you know, that includes the general managers. You know, the GMs in the league had a call Saturday morning with the league head office, an information session. And this was discussed, again, in the sort of general terms you read there from my story but was not laid out that, you know, it's 32 tests is is critical mass. I mean, I think really what was conveyed to the GMs as it was conveyed to me was that it's if the doctors feel that they've lost control of it. If, if, you know, it isn't just, you know, player A and B on a team, you know, produce positive tests, they were kept aside, everyone else is fine. It it would be if the spread, you know, went right through a team or through multiple teams, Um, you know, that might be the scenario where they shut it down. But, you know, the league obviously knows this is a possibility, uh, it would be a huge cost to them financially. This is not a cheap undertaking. You know, I think they're going to administer something in the area of 2,000 tests a day. I believe the tests are about $125 a piece. Um, you know, the, the league's 
brought in some some commercial companies to do that. They're not they're not using anything within the communities of Toronto or Edmonton, the, the sort of the public supply of these things. But I mean, you, you have that plus the costs of the hotels, the bubbles, all those food options I mentioned. I mean, there's there's a cost attached to this, and so obviously there's there's from a business standpoint, there's a huge desire to see this through properly. So I'm sure they have a plan, but they don't want to come out and say what it is because it, it might change too. I mean, I, I don't know that it's necessarily to be secretive, but it, there's probably no upside for them to be that honest with us all right now. So you're talking that they're spending probably a million plus a day. I mean, that's that, the number you just quoted me there on the test is 200 grand. And then there's all the hotels and all the meals and everything else on top of it. It's, I mean, is that a, is that a league expense? Is that a team expense? Is it both? Like, how does that, how does that work? It would be a league expense. I mean, keep in mind if they get the, the playoffs in here, you know, they're due to get a couple hundred million dollars. I don't know exactly for between four and 500 million between what's left on their TV deals. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, it would be counted against that, but I mean, there's still revenue to be made. They're still going to, they're still going to make money if this happens. It's just, you know, the, the worst thing that could happen for all kinds of reasons, of course, is to start up and then have to shut it down permanently and, 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 and sort of live out that doomsday scenario. And so, you know, I, I think that there's, I sense there's a high level of confidence that if they can get to the bubble scenario, they can get to the point where the games are starting and everyone's settled in the hub cities that they can contain this and that, you know, the threat of that is not that large. Um, because, you know, even, you know, housekeepers or someone working at the lobby bar or the front desk of these hotels, I mean, they're tested every day too. It's not just uh, the players on the team or the equipment managers and what have you. I mean, it's, there's a, a huge testing protocol here to ensure that everyone uh, is, is, you know, the minute that essentially that pretty quickly they'll be found to have the symptoms if they have them or be uh, produce a positive test. Um, so, you know, the worst thing that can happen is starting up and shutting down. Um, and, and so, you know, I do think that if they can get through these next two weeks, this, they'll, they'll be in a good spot, uh, but that's not a guarantee. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. As I told you, I'm excited, uh, but it's, we, none of us should get too comfortable before July 26th when the teams are due to travel. Yeah, it wow. seems like the next two weeks are the most contentious part because it's hundreds of athletes flying across North America just all around yeah. trying to get to certain points and then living their lives within their new areas and then getting to these hub cities. And hundreds of athletes that haven't been tested being tested now. And, and you know, there will be positive results in there. I don't know how many – what's the public kind of reaction going to be if it's a huge number? And, and again, I – I'm probably not the one to tell you what the huge number is, but I mean, there's just, it's a fine line to walk. And then obviously, you know, what's changing with training camp starting Monday is that you're having all these players on the ice together. I mean, some teams are going to have 30, 35 guys out skating together. I'm sure they'll spread them around dressing rooms. So they're maybe not all in the same dressing room at the same time, but you're just having more people in close proximity to each other than they have been even during this, this previous stage where they've been doing voluntary workouts at, at the team facilities. And so, yes, there's all these protocols put in place, but you know, someone might forget, someone might not put on their mask. You know, they just, this is, this is a, a whole new world for everybody. And so this, this is, this is the, kind of the, the make or break, I think now, I mean, obviously the first make or break was getting the deal in place and getting the players to agree to it, but now they have to not screw it up. And, and you know, I don't say that lightly. I, I see what's going on in the MLS in particular, the soccer you know, they, they've, I think they canceled three or four of the 10 games that they've postponed they've, a game this morning too. I, yeah. was, I woke up at nine just to watch TFC and they postponed it five minutes before. There you go. And, and so, you know, this could happen. Nothing exists in a bubble, even though we're talking a lot about bubbles mm -hmm. right now. It's not as though 
it's it's because the MLS is doing it wrong. In fact, what was interesting is all the sports leagues actually agreed to their protocols sort of in concert with each other, uh, obviously leaning on the advice from the Center for Disease Controls. Um, you know, but you know the, the MLS protocol doesn't look that different than the NHL ones will. And so the point is, if it can happen to them, it can happen in other leagues. And, and you know, that, I don't even think that anyone's saying anyone the MLS did anything wrong. It's just this is a highly communicable virus. It, it spreads easily. That's why it's it's basically shut down huge parts of the world and all of North America for the last four months. And and so um, this is this is difficult. Uh, you know, Gary Bettman termed it. You know, we're not even at the the end. We're just at the the end of the beginning. Right. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to watch. It was apparently one player on DC United that tested positive, and then there was a TFC player that came back inconclusive. So they uh, they erred on the side of caution, which I think is the right thing to do. They postponed the game. It's not canceled. Like, we'll see what happens. And um, and they're getting tested like crazy, too. However, they chose to play in Florida, which uh, you're asking for <laughs> you're asking for trouble down there. Uh, you, even if you are secluded, it's it's sort of the place where it's all happening right now. Well, you're secluded until you get injured. Then you got to go to a hospital in Florida. Oh, Jesus. Same for the NBA. I mean, that's, that's the problem. I mean, the, I mean, we call it the secure zone, but it's not 100%. I mean, people will leave that area. And unfortunately, you know, I hope everyone stays healthy again. But if, if any player has to go somewhere, you know, if with a medical issue, they're, they're going to a hospital in Florida during the NBA and MLS tournaments. Right. And, 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 and like there's places in Toronto, I think there's like, tw- I think of what are there, 26 hospitals or something like that. And 15 of them, you know, reported no new COVID cases and some have no COVID at all. And like, so there's, you know, that's the difference, right? Is there's, you know, if, if, if you're working in the, if you're the, in the NHL and you got a, an injured player, you can bring them to a hospital where it's just not there. You know what I mean? It's just that they don't have it. There's a so, scenario here, honestly, where the NHL is the only of the big sports leagues that, that the team sports that, that finishes the season. I think it's possible that that, that happens because they brought the games to Canada. And so, I mean, there's a lot of things I want to give them credit for, but leaving that decision till the end and, and picking two Canadian cities because of what was starting to happen in the U.S. is probably the smartest decision they've made so far. Wow. So, but because I, I know you, you talked about it like it's a five-star jail and it's not an ideal scenario and you don't want to be away from your family for even the amount of time that they committed to, let alone longer than that. But because this two-week period is so critical, it's so unbelievably precious – is there any talk of any of these teams going to the hub cities early? No, I, I don't even know if the hub cities are ready to be honest. I mean, right. I, I do a lot of my jogs down by the CNE here in Toronto and, and the hotel X doesn't look like there's no secure zone built around it. There's no fencing up. There's no security in place. Um, you know, they might be ready a couple days extra early, but I know teams have already booked flights uh, for uh, July 26th. And so I don't think we'll see unless something changes. Look, I guess I shouldn't say anything that declarative. There's still 12 or 13 days. Maybe, maybe it takes a turn somewhere and they let a team come early, but I don't, I don't even heard any conversation about anyone trying to do that now. So they're arriving the day before exhibition games start. Um, or two I, days. I think two days. I'm pretty sure the Leafs play on the 28th, their exhibition. Okay. Game. Yeah. 28, 29, 30, I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I hope it works, man. I'm glad you mentioned the extra security because uh, a couple days ago when Hotel X was trending and for some reason we knew the four hotels, Jesse and I were texting back and forth. I was just like, why do we know where they're going to live? 
Yeah, I thought it was a little odd for a broadcaster to put it on TV and be like, hey, the Leafs are going to be at the Royal York, you know? <laughs> I don't know if that's good information to have out there. Well, because people hang out outside the hotel with giant books of please sign this. And no, don't go anywhere near them. You're not allowed. Well, there will be fencing of some sort. Though There's going to be some sort of blockade to keep you from getting anywhere near them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason it's out there, honestly, is because the, the government agencies in this case have given the NHL some special privileges to be able to come here. And so the public is owed some insight into their planning than, that we wouldn't normally get. Uh, I, I know there's a debate about that. I've seen it in my, my timeline. I, I put out a picture of the Hotel X and got yelled at by half the internet for a day. Um, but, I mean, look, it's, it's the league publishes it. It's, it's been made very available. We, we can know – basically we have everything but which room each player from each team is in at this point. So um, I think it's part, of, it's part of the facts. I know the NBA did it as well. And I think that part of it is just not to hide anything. It's, it's to show your plan, show your work and be held accountable to the, the Canadian public because, quite honestly, it might not even be the NHL that ends up having to make a doomsday call. It could be the government if, if the government is concerned that the league isn't following some of the things that have been agreed to here. And, and I think part of that is knowing which players should be where and when. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, wow. The, I, sorry, I've been a little lost on account of the little human who keeps waking me up throughout the night but there was there was supposed to be an nhl conference call and then there was a delay i think because of the canadian federal government what was that yesterday right was that yesterday and did that get resolved it's it's not resolved as we're talking yet it's it's to do with uh being allowed to cross the border and and the what's being called the cohort quarantine which is what teams are being allowed to do when they come here instead of having to sit for 14 days without doing any activity uh, for NHL staff. So it, it's been agreed upon that, say, the Boston Bruins can fly up to Toronto, you know, a day before, two days before their first exhibition game and, and be fine as long as they're just staying in the secure zone in the rink. Um, but I don't think that that's been resolved for how it's going to work for all the NHL staff that, that's due to travel here. And let's face it, most of those people, there are some staff based in Toronto because uh, the league has a head office here, but their main office is in New York. And, and so – in fact, it's not even fully decided if, if Gary Batman and Bill Daly will, will be here. It's not to say it won't be. I think there's still time, but, you know, some of that uh, wording is still being worked out with the federal government. Do you think, uh, I mean, I, obviously Vegas was the front runner in the West for a long, long time for, for in terms of a hub city. Toronto always seemed to be in the mix in the Eastern uh, Conference. It just seemed to make sense. Um, uh, but, you know, do you get a sense of, you know, I remember when Vegas opened up their casinos about, I think it would be about a month ago now and cases spiked. Um, and, you know, do you, do you think it was things like that, like opening up too quickly that led to them saying, no, let's consider Vancouver or Edmonton. Cause we can't, because it's, it is surprising really, you know, a league that is trying so hard to build this game in the States uh, would have two hub cities be in Canada. Just the optics of that. If you had asked me a month ago when this was still up in the air, there's no way I would have said, I would have been like, yeah, maybe one of them is Toronto, but there's no way both of them are Canadian cities. Um, you know, how much, how, much of, how much discussion went into that? How bad did Vegas want it? How bad did Vancouver want it? And why ultimately Edmonton? Well, Vegas was up 4-1 in game seven. And in the Hub City discussion. Oh, oh. Vegas oh. literally blew a three nothing lead in game seven and you went with the <laughs> Wow. Wow. I know my audience. I see that picture of you in a leaf jersey over <laughs> on his head. You know, I know. I know who's out there. Um, man. 
And not to make light of it, but yeah, certainly Vegas as a city opening up at the start of June created the conditions where the NHL ultimately decided they couldn't go there. And, you know, the league wanted to go there from the very beginning. I mean, it, it just makes sense. We, we could have sat around on March 15th. We were trying to handicap this and, and figured out that that was a good place to go. I mean, for one, the hotels in Vegas are unmatched pretty much anywhere in North America. It's a city geared towards tourism. A series, you know, they're all basically resorts. You could create all those things I was talking about indoors uh, in a place like that. And of course, that's a negative thing for COVID-19. But ter- in terms of a bubble, uh, you could have just had one of those hotels blocked off with 20 restaurants in it and provided all kinds of things that players could do. But at the end, you know, they had a huge surge in cases there. They, they actually had a specific problem where a lot of hotel and casino workers uh, were, were getting the virus and, and was just making it too unstable. And I think Ultimately, my understanding is that the city or the tourism board or the health officials there came to the NHL and just expressed a, a concern that they couldn't do this safely anymore. And so, you know, I think in some if ways... Vegas would say that. That's interesting. Well, it's that bad, you know, and that's why as much as I'm joking about it, I, you know, I want to be serious in the sense that, you know, the league absolutely wanted a Canadian and a U.S. hub city from the beginning. That was the plan. Uh, that that made the most sense. I think Vegas was pretty much locked in, quite honestly. And then there was some debate about where the second one would go. Uh, you know, initially, actually, that was going to be Vegas and Columbus uh, seemed to be favored uh, in the very early in the process. That was before we knew if the Canadian government would would make any concessions when it came to the quarantine. You know, then it, it, Vegas and Toronto was kicked around. Um, you know, my understanding in, in that circumstance was that Vegas was going to have the cup final and everything too. So it was going to be similar to what we have here. Then it becomes Vegas and Vancouver. And of course, you know, BC among the, the highly populated provinces in Canada has, has probably been the, the leader. Dr. Bonnie Henry there has done a great job of communicating with the people and, and everyone's followed the protocols. That looked to be done. And then Vancouver pulled out. Then it was back to Vegas, Toronto. And then at the last minute, Vegas couldn't do it. And, and Edmonton won because they, they had a strong bid all along. I think, you know, the benefit of Edmonton, for those who haven't been there, is the JW Marriott Hotel is less than a year old. Very, very nice hotel. It's right across the street from Rogers Arena. And so they can create essentially their secure zone, safe zone, that includes the main game rink and where the players will stay. And in fact, the second hotel, which is the Sutton Place Hotel, all within the same safe zone. And so that's probably ideal. I think that's, you know, one of the issues with Toronto is that it's the middle of a large city and, and you can't shut everything off right around Scotiabank Arena. We, we have, you know, Union Station there and certainly a number of businesses and office towers connected uh, all throughout there. So, you know, those, those people still have to be able to go to work. Um, but the way that it's able to, to work in Edmonton is they have a very secure zone. Alberta also hasn't, uh, you know, I know they've had a uh, recently an issue in a, in a hospital there, but certainly when the decision was made, they, they'd had very few cases and, you know, they, they kind of got chose by default. Honestly, I, I don't say that as a, as a shot at them. It's just, you know, it, it, I don't think the league was looking to have two Canadian hubs until that was really the only thing they felt was available to them to do it safely. If, um, if the league is able to successfully pull this off and you mentioned it, um, uh, and, and I swear we're actually going to talk some hockey here coming up too. <laughs> Um, but if the league is able, Chris, to pull this off and leagues like the MLS, the NBA, the MLB, because the MLB is still bound to determine that they're going to travel from city to city somehow. I don't know how they're going to do that. The Jays have uh, scheduled with Boston. Like an it, exhibition game coming up in three weeks. Really? Yeah, see, that's like an exhibition game. They're going to go and play an exhibition game. They're just um, ignoring reality. And then they're right. going to go to Florida like five times this year. Like, yes. it makes no sense. It's insane. And they're, 
And, there, and I believe uh, certain players have come out today and say, we haven't even been tested yet. Like, where are the tests? Um, so Call, Calling that a plan, by the way, that's like me saying I plan to go to university. And I'll tell you, when I, the day I moved to university, I woke up in the morning, threw all my stuff in garbage bags and moved in. And that's, <laughs> the that's literally the equivalent of what the MLB plan is. And that was, you know, 18-year-old CJ. I didn't know what I was doing in, in a lot of ways. And I just went by the seat of my pants and that's what the MLB is doing right now. Wow. Okay. So, you know, so what kind of opportunity sports wise does this present for a league like the NHL that often struggles being muscled out with the MLB and the NBA and, you know, NFL when it's on as well, the NFL will, depending on their plan, kick into gear here in about a month and a half. Um, So, you know, they would maybe have to compete with NFL games, which is like competing with God in the States, right? It's just the, it's the biggest thing. But, um, you know, if, if leagues like the NBA and ML and MLS can't, and MLB can't get it on the road, does the league foresee that? Have they looked at this as a potential opportunity to really gain some ground with the average sports fan in the States? Well, I think it's hard to overstate how important that could be, honestly. I mean, what makes the Stanley Cup playoffs great under normal circumstances. It's the intensity and it's the unpredictability of what you see. I mean, it's, it's a crazy sport. I feel like anyone, even if you don't quite understand hockey, if you watch a playoff game, it's hard not to be kind of brought in and drawn in by what you're seeing. And the fact that you have this moment in time where, let's face it, there's, there's almost nothing on TV. I mean, nothing. I'm watching F1 races. I watched a Bundesliga soccer match at some point. Like, you know, I'm just craving anything that's kind of – sort of like what we used to have. And so I, I think even if the other sports get up and running, this is still a great opportunity for, for the NHL. I think the numbers in Canada are going to be outrageously good at the start of this, you know, just jumping right into a best of five after 142 days on pause. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's insanity. I mean, it's already unpredictable as it is. We're going to see massive upsets in that first round. I mean, or that qualifying round. Like I, I just think, you might as well pick it out of a hat. You might do better than actually trying to use what you thought you learned, you know, with a season that ended on March 12th. And so, you know, it's, it's going to be spectacular if, if they can pull it off. And, and, you know, even when you think of October hockey, right. I mean, it's more scoring, less defense, no lead is going to be safe. Yes. Oh, well, Hey, if we're Leafs fans, uh, it never is man. Right. Right. <laughs> Ever. Exactly. So, I mean, like you're, you're going to never be able to turn a game off early and, yeah. You know, I'm not rooting against the other sports because I like them as fans. You know, I'm a huge Jays fan. Uh, love the Raptors. Was out on the street when they won the, the, the championship last year, back when you could be around strangers. Um, you know, but if the NHL gets the floor to themselves in North America with team sports, I mean, I, I just think it's a massive opportunity. Even if you're just drawing in a few more people, I mean, it, it's 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 the power of, of, of building, you know, sort of scale. And you know, really, we don't know what the future holds beyond this year, too. So, you know, if they prove that they can do this right, I think it's a huge feather in their cap. Well, let's talk about a little – you talked about the unpredictability of the play-ins and the playoffs that we're going to go into. I want to talk – I want to go to the Leafs because we haven't had the chance to actually break down something that's happening with the Leafs uh, in three months. And it's sort of nice. It was nice today to see the Leafs roster tweeted out. Uh, what, who's going to be at training camp? Uh, and then it has already changed. So one of the names that stuck out to me, there were two names that weren't on that list that were, I think, pretty big. The first one was uh, Nick Patan, uh, who has since been added. Mac Hallowell has uh, been taken off. Uh, and number two was Jeremy Bracco. So 
I, I guess so. The, what what could have happened there? Why was Nick Patan not added until several hours later? Uh, and then I guess you know I, I, the follow up to that, Chris, is where does this organization see Jeremy Bracco? Because it looked like for a while there he was going to be the next winger to come out of the minors or maybe get shipped off the ship did off in a trade or whatever. It, it seems like he's fallen significantly and, and probably, and I believe he requested a trade as well. Yeah. A couple of things there. So Patan had an injury uh, during this phase two. Uh, the league is actually no longer teams aren't allowed to tell us what the injury was. So I don't have any specifics on the details and he was actually only cleared by doctors on Sunday to participate in camp. Hence why they had to announce a roster without him and then quickly make that change. Uh, tough bounce for Mac Hollowell, you know, who would have been a great story even just to get to the camp, a guy who played for Newfoundland Growlers for, you know, a number of games this season and, and find himself in that sort of summer training camp would have been great for his development. But, you know, his day will still come. Uh, I think for Jeremy Bracco, you know, you should, you're not wrong to read this incorrectly. I mean, the, the Marlies were, were actually quite clear after the season that they did uh, exit interviews with every player that wasn't going to be invited to this camp, and he got one right away. And so, you know, I, I don't think it's it's a stretch or unfair to say that they weren't happy with his year. You know, he had to leave the team for a personal reason for a period of time during the season. Um, you know, I don't think he took the kind of step that they were hoping to see from him. And I think his future of the organization is in serious question, entering an offseason where, you know, his, his contract's up. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. You see him even get a qualifying offer uh, from the Leafs, which would be required just to keep his rights, just to make sure that they retain him as an RFA. I I do think there's a scenario where they let him walk away, Uh, you know, in part because he didn't take that step. They've got other players coming, uh, but also because this is a a difficult time uh, when it comes to the salary cap. You don't want to be committing a one-way contract to him if you don't see him as an NHL player next year. And, And, when you're not even inviting him to this camp where you can have, what, 18 forwards or 19 forwards that they're bringing, if he's not one of your 19 right now, you know, it's hard to see him being one of their 13 or 14 next season. So, um, you know, I, I would suggest to you we're going to see him play his next professional game for another organization one way, shape, or another, whether it's a trade or, you know, through free agency this summer. And, and the Leafs move on. I, I You know, he was he, – he, look, he had, he's had some great years in the AHL. I mean – I, I'm not saying he won't be an NHL player, but uh, his his growth certainly stagnated here in the Leafs organization the last year or two. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, it it, it definitely felt that way, and the Leafs are, are are sort of hoarders when it comes to players like that. So I'm surprised to hear you say um, that they may even not even qualify him because you know obviously you know they'd have to probably let him go to free agency if, even if they wanted to sign him to a two way deal, right? Because he can't RFA him. Uh, like they can't sign him to a two-way deal if he's an RFA and they've retained his rights, correct? Right. So if they gave him the qualifying offer. The player has a right just to take that offer right, uh, and, and be signed, or or they can just continue to negotiate and it allows the Leafs to retain his rights as an RFA. Um, you know, look, I don't, I don't know that the decision has been made yet either. So it's not to, mm-hmm. it's not to say no. he will, he will not be qualified, but I do think they'll look to trade him uh, if there isn't a trade to be made there, you know, there is a scenario where maybe they just let him walk because I think he would like a fresh start and it's, it's probably time. And you mentioned Nick Robertson earlier, uh, who will be wearing number 89, which I, I, a small insignificant portion of Twitter, but still a very loud one. We're very upset that someone would dare steal leaf. Great. Alexander McGillney's number. Uh, (laughs) because that matters. First and Uh, only leaf to wear 89. Yeah. Right. Uh, but he will be wearing 89. Uh, he will be in training camp. Doesn't mean he's going to play, 
But let's talk about the, it's sort of like the the exact opposite sort of situation here with Jeremy Bracco. Unfortunately, it would be nice to see them both jumping in. But Nick Robertson's growth, the fact that he was even a second round pick last year, looks like an absolute steal. Uh, what is this player? What do they have here? And does he draw in against a really tough defensive team like the Columbus Blue Jackets in, frankly, games that that matter? Every game matters even more than a seven-game series against the Blue Jackets, and we'll get to that matchup in a bit. But, like, this is really, really important. Do you think Nick Robertson's going to play against Tortorella? Yeah, I think we're going to see him. CJ, let, let me answer the first part of Adam's question. What is he? A forward. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, CJ, go ahead. He's the right shot D the Leafs have been looking for. That's and, right. Yeah. Guy. <laughs> it's, it's that he's the left shot winger that, uh, that's probably going to play games in this playoffs. That, that's, that's my feeling about it. You know, obviously that's a sense more than, you know, that decision hasn't been made either. You know, I'll, this is what I'll say. What jumps off the page about Nick Robertson is 55 goals in 46 games in the OHL. I mean, even if you don't watch Ontario Hockey League games, obviously you're excited if you're a fan of the Leafs about that kind of production. You know, what a team that told me that was looking at drafting him last June that they loved about him was they were a little worried about his size because he, he's a little bit more you know, my height than a typical NHLer's height. Uh, but they loved his mind. They felt that, that he had the, a professional's mindset, I think was the word that they termed. And they felt that, that that alone would allow him to sort of overcome anything that might be put in his way. And the Leafs have learned that since picking him, if they didn't know that themselves, uh, when they, they did draft him 53rd overall in 2019. You know, this guy has absolutely used every resource the organization's made available to him. And obviously playing for the Leafs, they, they can do a lot more than most other teams. You know, he told me he had over 100 text messages with their nutritionist. He would literally send her pictures of his meals for feedback all year long. He said wow. that the, the strength coaches are annoyed with me. I know they're annoyed with me because every off-ice workout, he would videotape and make sure he's doing it right and, and seek feedback on his form. You know, he's, he's obviously really approached this, I think, in a, in a serious manner and then he has this great year in the OHL. It plays well at the World Juniors. You know, he's put himself in this position where the organization can't help but look at him. I mean, and and consider playing him in these games. And I think it's it's the mind that that could make this possible because you know if, if the Leafs do play him, you know we're we're not looking at a top six role absent injuries or the things that might happen. But it's, that's not going to be the position they're putting him in. They're not going to be playing him on the number one power play. You know, looking for him to repeat those goal totals that he had in junior, at least not at this stage. And so I think that he has to be able to show that that he's got the mindset. And honestly, something as silly as picking eighty nine to me shows that he has a little bit of that 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 mindset. He's he's just a supremely confident very businesslike about how he, he goes about things. If you've seen his Instagram videos about working out, I mean, he's an absolute tank for, you know, someone who's, he's not that, that tall in stature, but, but he's very, very thick, strong on his skates, uh, works out like a fiend and is doing absolutely everything to, to maximize his ability based on what's been given to him. And I know he's opened eyes in a huge way in the Leafs organization because of all those things. And so even the fact that he came up here, quarantined for two weeks at a friend's house in Windsor because he was back in, in LA where, where his family lives uh, during the, the initial part of the pause. And then has been in all these optional workouts since June 8th, the, the phase two workouts the Leafs have been doing. You know, I, I think he's got a real shot to play. And then, you know, we might look at the lineup itself with Andreas Janssen being a left winger that, that the Leafs would like to have for a series like this. I just think that there's a natural spot for him on the left side of the third line. Might give the Leafs bottom six a bit more punch. Uh, which, you know, it was something I think was missing, uh, especially later part of the season before the pause. 
And so, you know, if he plays well, it's all in his hands. I, I really don't think Kyle Dubas is bluffing when he says they're not going to, they're not going to say, well, we got to keep his contract for the future. I think the Leafs really are trying to win a Stanley cup right now. And if he's one of their best 12 options, uh, he'll be playing. It's so funny because, uh, uh, and it's Steve, I think you'll, I'm, I'm asking this question for Steve. Go ahead. Nick Robertson didn't draw into a game when Mike Babcock was coach in October this season, <laughs> which is weird to say all of those things that happened this season. And I wonder, I wonder if Mike Babcock is still the coach, I wonder if this is an option, right? You just, you wonder, you have to wonder about that and that, and the change. And I don't need to, spe- we don't need to speculate about that. No, I, I'll speculate. There's no chance. Oh, okay. And, well, there you go. And that's not, <laughs> and that's not, you know, on Nick, but I mean, look, this is a dynamic. And I know this from speaking to GMs around the league. Like this isn't just a Leafs dynamic. The, the biggest obstacle sometimes for the front office to do what they want is they're on their own coaching staff. I mean, it's convincing the, the person who's making those decisions each shift. And then there's a lot of decisions in a game for a head coach. Um, you know, if they feel comfortable with that. And I would say most old school hockey coaches, especially entering a best of five, with one exhibition game would just not feel comfortable with even the idea of dressing this, this player as one of your 12 or even 13 forwards. If you went 13, you know, if, if you, whatever you're doing, I, I, but I think that Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas are just so on the same page. And this is something if, if, since the front office is willing to do it, I think Sheldon is. So that, that answers your question. I, just, I really just don't think crazy. this universe <laughs> crazy. Would it, I mean, look, he might be a camp, but I think we'd be, I'd be answering this question about whether he might play totally differently if Mike Babcock was on the bench. I, I, I just look at the Leafs lineup and, you know, you mentioned you're probably not going to throw him to the Lions right away with the top six role, but I look at their bottom two centers and assuming Kerfoot is C3, there's a pass first guy. And Jason Spezza, I think, is a pass-first guy. I'm looking at Nick Robertson's numbers with the beats. 55 goals in 46 games. His center, also a Leaf prospect, SDA. 63 assists, 12 goals. <laughs> That's it. So do you think they're jacked about the idea of putting him with a uh, playmaking center like that? Or do they are they going to continue that Kerfoot uh, at left wing experiment they were doing? I'd be surprised if they did, because remember, we're getting Ilya Mikheyev back as well. Right. And so, you know, what I'm expecting is that Mikheyev will, will go back in his spot that he's on, if we want to call it the second line, the Tavares line uh, with Marner. Uh, could be a first line anywhere else in the league, pretty much. Um, and then, you know, that gives you this option on third, the, the third line. I mean, they didn't want to play Kerfoot, I don't think, too much on the wing realistically it's just they had a hole there after McKayev went down you know they tried Kasperi Kapanen on his offside and in that position there didn't really work and wasn't successful they actually put him back there the last game uh, against Tampa that they played before the break Uh, but now with McKayev back you know and look there's an x factor there I don't know if he'll be able to do what he used to do because of the severity of the injury had you know I, I would have to think there's almost some PTSD associated with that I mean it was a very scary situation uh, that he had getting, getting, you know, some arteries cut by a skate. Um, but, you know, to at least to start, um, you know, I think you've got Hyman, Matthews, and, and Nylander, maybe with Hyman and Nylander switch, because Nylander seems to like the left side now. Uh, then you got Mikheyev with uh, Tavares and Marner. And then that's where I think, you know, you might see on the left side there, instead of someone like Pierre Engvall, for example, being an option. Uh, to me, Robertson makes a whole lot of sense with Kerfoot and, and Captain on your third line. And then... No, do you have Engvall, Patan, and Nope. I got Spezza. I got Spezza on there. I think Clifford will start. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe Goat, too. I mean, Goat and Spezza kind of were shifting back and forth between wing and center together. That, that's that's Not bad. My, my rough sense of what, what this is going to end up as. Uh, Chris, you know, when we're talking about the Leafs against the Blue Jackets, it almost – I mean, if we were going to base it on what the team, the team we saw in December – Versus, say, the Leafs team we saw in February, early March before the season. Uh, and I believe they ca- the, the, the game against Nashville was canceled like a couple hours before, mm-hmm. uh, before it was due to play. And I had a friend that was going. Um, and he was like, yeah, I'm going to the Nashville game tonight. I'm like, have fun. It might be your last game for a while. And then, you know, it didn't happen. Um, I'm wondering, you know, if we – the Leafs team we saw in December seemed frail. Well, they were on, well, they were on the 20-game win streak. Sorry, or January they seemed to – to, to kind of peter out a little bit after the, the bump of Sheldon Keith coming in as the, as the head coach. Um, and so there, was, you, there were two Leafs that you saw. Like, there were two Leafs teams you saw this year. There was the Babcock Leafs, obviously, and then the Keith Leafs. But then they seemed to regress back to what they were at the beginning of the season. And you said to us, you know, months ago when we were talking that, that you know, you felt like that they were starting to get things back on the road and that they felt like, they got their groove back a little bit. How does this team match up against the Blue Jackets, who play a very uh, tidy, tough defense game, um, where the Leafs do not and 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 don't have the same structure that the Blue Jackets have? Uh, the Blue Jackets have done a lot with very little. They, they have. I think the Leafs have an opportunity here to, to beat the Blue Jackets the way Boston beat Toronto the last two years, which is with the power play. You know, there's a there's a huge disparity in this series between high end talent from one side to the other, at least offensively. I mean, obviously the Blue Jackets have some stud defensemen and Wrensky and Jones. Um, but, you know, the Leafs have offensive weapons that, frankly, Columbus can't match. That doesn't mean anything. We could have said that about Tampa going into last year's first round and Columbus beat them in four straight. And so, you know, I think it's going to be a bit of a grind for the Leafs. And I think, you know, for them to have success, I mean, it'll always come down to goaltending either way in, in any playoff series. And then beyond that, I think Toronto has a, a real opportunity to, to hold the edge in the specialty teams and, and – you know, in, in a series as quick and, in you know, where, where the margin might be quite small between winning and losing, you know, I think that's of, of utmost importance for the Leafs that they, that they bury the Blue Jackets. Because to me, they should be able to outskate them in a lot of areas. Uh, they should be able to goad them into some penalties uh, just, just with the way they can move the puck around and, and the way they like and prefer to control the puck. And, and, you know, I think you'll see the Blue Jackets try to be physical and you might see some aggression-type penalties. And then Toronto can make them pay in, in that area. And if they're not able to do that, it could go the other way. I mean, but, you know, I think this is a pretty good matchup for the Leafs. By no means is it easy. But if, again, if you go right down the list, other than the, the two five twelve matchups on either side, which is Edmonton, Chicago in, in the West, and then Montreal, Pittsburgh in the East, I mean, most of these series are just, it's a razor thin. I mean, I think the Leafs and the Blue Jackets are the same point total, if I'm not mistaken, when the season was paused. I know Vancouver and, and Minnesota, I think we're separated by point. They're playing the West. I mean, all of these are kind of coin flip scenarios. Um, but I think the fact that Columbus beat Tampa the way they did will have the Leafs' attention and respect. Uh, it will certainly be something the coaching staff reminds them of uh, as they go into that series. And, you know, I, I think that this is a series the Leafs should win. But, you know, it's, it's one thing to draw it up on paper or try to evaluate it from my kitchen. It's, it's another thing to see it played on the ice. And, and Josh Anderson apparently is still not going to draw in, still injured. How big is that, you know, in terms of – of you know what Toronto's going to face well you, you think of a guy like him being a playoff player I mean for me he at his best has is, is got some Tom Wilson like qualities he's he's big he skates well uh, he had a great offensive season last year he had a miserable year this year I think the injuries played a factor in that and for whatever reason his season never got up and running 
but I don't expect to see him at all in the, in this round. Um, so, you know, he's not someone Toronto's going to have to contend with, but you know, the, the Blue Jackets have a guy by the name of Liam Foodie, who, you know, is a Canadian national junior team player, you know, looks like he might get the Nick Robertson treatment in this series and, and get thrown in there. So, you know, just because, you know, Anderson's down doesn't mean the Blue Jackets can at least come with certainly not the same type of player. Foodie's more offensively gifted, but you know, th- there's, there's opportunities in their depth chart, I think, to, to introduce some unknown quantities here. And, you know, I think what's kind of interesting, big picture, probably for all the series, though, is that the coaches never have this much time to prepare for an opponent. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was May 26th that this format was officially confirmed. And so, you know, you can't imagine that the Blue Jackets have played any meaningful hockey in the last couple of seasons and the Leafs haven't looked at the videos, studied their tendencies, looked at their player usage, vice versa. And so the training camps to me are so interesting just because you got to think that coaches are going to throw wrinkles in there, uh, whether it's different personnel usage or, you know, maybe new power play formations or, or things like that, that, you know, it can at least keep the other team on its toes. And, and so, you know, I, I think the coaching matchup in this series is fascinating. It just turns out that John Tortorella is actually one of the, the people that is a mentor to, to Sheldon Keefe. He was actually his coach for a time with the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, mm-hmm. back when Keefe was a player. I know he cited him as someone that, that he's really appreciated as a coach and has tried to, to borrow from. But, you know, obviously you have a huge disparity in experience, um, you know, at least at the NHL level between these two guys. And, and I do think coaching will play an important role in these types of series. So, you know, I, I think this, this will be kind of an interesting chess match. But ultimately, if the Leafs lose this series, no matter how it happens, I think they'll be disappointed. I mean, they'll, they'll go into this series for the first time of any of the, the last, you know, three, four years – counting the Washington and the Boston. This is the first one where they really believe they should be favored. And, and, and I think that's a, that's a fair way of, of categorizing it. You get the sense internally that the management and players expect a deep playoff run or expectations kind of up in the air because we're in a scenario that no one's ever seen before. No, the Leafs think they have an advantage. You know, they had almost their entire team back here on June 8th uh, when, when was the first day you could start having those small group workouts. Those were entirely voluntary around the league. A number of teams – you know, have only opened their facilities in the last week. And the Leafs have had, you know, a month now where their players have been skating together. I think they've done some, some social things together, at least that you can still do, like up in cottage country kind of vibe. You know, I think that they see an advantage in the fact that they have a pretty young team um, because, let's face it, this layoff is going to affect different teams different ways. And, you know, even just symbolically, the fact that so many players bothered to show up for those small group workouts that, were, that they didn't have to be at I think it's a sign that the, the players are enthusiastic about playing. And, you know, I can't tell you what teams weren't, but I do know there are teams out there for sure that weren't totally sold on this plan, that, that didn't think it would ever happen, that, you know, maybe some of those players, whether it was on purpose or just, you know, the subconscious of all the uncertainty around this, maybe didn't work out as hard as they should have or keep their conditioning at a level. And, you know, I think the Leafs feel that they have advantage in all, in all those areas. Young team fitness level at a high level they've been skating together for a while I think that they intend to win the Stanley Cup honestly that's, that's not to say they're going to but I, I don't get the feeling that this is just a oh it's nice it's in the city and maybe this will work out for us like I, I, I think they are preparing for a long run and, and I think they should you know quite honestly I mean if you look at the teams they've lost to in the playoffs the last couple of years as, as painful as that been and I know it feels familiar because you got game sevens against Boston but you know Boston then went to game seven of the cup final and, and they probably didn't deserve to beat the Leafs if you look at the full balance of last year's series. The year before was a different story. 2018, the Leafs were probably fortunate to hang on and force a game seven. Um, but, I, you know, I think the Leafs carried the play in a lot of last year's series. And so 
you know, it, it struck me watching the Last Dance uh, documentary, you know, way back at the start of this pause that, you know, even the Bulls were, you know, once upon a time labeled as a team, Michael Jordan's Bulls, that couldn't get over the hump. They kept losing to Detroit. And, and you have to, to, to just sort of make that first step, and it's in there. And I think the Leafs feel, even though they haven't won a playoff series since you guys were all in diapers or roughly Leo's <laughs> age, um, that, that, that all it's going to take here is beating Columbus and getting a momentum going and, and using all the things that can work in their favor and that this could be a special summer and fall in Toronto rather than, than spring. Adam, just just to emphasize what Chris just said, you and I, I think, were in Ottawa at the Sears Drama Festival the last time the Leafs won a playoff series. That would have been grade 10, grade 10. 11. That was grade, grade 10. 10. There you go. For, for the two of us. You, you mentioned yeah. we should see some pictures. You got to find some like 2004 pictures. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, I have we us were in play. full makeup. I have yeah. us in full makeup and everything. Yeah. yeah, and be like the last time the Leafs play, won a playoff series, this was Adam and I. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and leather pants. It was was it, a, were, were, were you in leather pants yet, Adam? Uh, was in leather. That was a little later. That Adam fall, was the front man of a band. <laughs> wow. Fall, I bet. Um, yeah, no, it's it's funny to think because it's uh, it it has been that long, and I I wonder even if you know if they get if they're able to get through Columbus, even if that's not technically a first round playoff win because it's not. Um, if that will get the motor running a little bit, get the ball rolling. Okay, so this is what it feels like to win, to actually win something, you know. And and they can win it without, and then they can go into the next series, whoever that happens to be against, and go. Okay, well, we've done this, even though it's not technically the first round. They still feel like there's something here, and we can do this. Um, the one thing that we keep talking about every every time Toronto loses to Boston, uh, and I guess I guess the Capitals as well was, was, um, and this has been a long term issue with the Leafs is Freddie Anderson and the amount of games he's playing, you know, is he healthy? Is he rested? We have a fully healthy rested Freddie Anderson, but he could be rusty. What do, expect, yeah. what do we expect from a fully healthy, fully rested, potentially rusty Freddie Anderson? Because Freddie was for a while known as a bit of a slow starter. His October numbers weren't great. Some of that's gone away. What are your thoughts? Well, I think two things. At least they have Jack Campbell now behind him, which I think yeah. gives them a little more security than you've seen, at least since the Curtis McElhaney years, you know, behind Anderson. And I think that this plays right into Freddie's hands. Uh, you know, he, he's one of these guys that we're all like this in our own lives to certain degrees. He's his own worst enemy. Like, the reason he's played so much hockey, yeah, partly it's because they maybe haven't always had the backup behind him to split the starts more evenly, but he wants to play that much. I think that he – he likes that, but it might not always have been to his, his utmost benefit. And, you know, now he's had that, that long stint at, at Austin's place in Scottsdale. I know he actually left there a couple weeks before Austin came back and was down in California with his trainer down there that he normally works with in the off season. And then he came up here to Toronto and has been on the ice at least the last two or three weeks before training camp. And I think this is the perfect remedy for him in what, you know, was statistically his worst year as an NHL player. Um, you know, I, I've gotten the sense from, from those that know Anderson well that he doesn't believe it was actually his worst year, that he thinks that there's some extenuating circumstances that maybe tell us a little bit more than those numbers. But still, uh, you know, the, the facts are the facts. He didn't stay, stop the puck as frequently this season as he has at any other point at the same rate. And so, you know, I, I think anyone that, that had a year they didn't love is going to love this reset because it's not good. There's no tie to what happened. I mean – it goes down in history officially as the extension of the 1920 season, but this is 
this is a total break. Like, yeah. I'm still having trouble remembering who's on a team. And certainly, yeah. you know, other teams, like, you know, your brain just hasn't gone there for four months too often. Especially and, traded players like Patrick Marlowe's in Pittsburgh. Right. Uh, who, who was the guy for you, CJ? Because I was looking and I went, Dennis Mulgan? <laughs> I, I forgot he was a Leaf, man. Dennis Mulgan. That's a good – that was who kind of stuck out to me too. I mean, because, you know, he's sort of a quiet guy, played a few games. But, you know, it's – it's. I just think for Freddie that this reset will be huge and the fact he is healthy. And, yeah, he might be a little bit rusty to start. I think all goalies are going to face that issue. Um, but he still has 13 days of camp. He's got an exhibition game. He's got another couple more days of camp. I mean, he's got a lot of sh- time here facing shots and getting back in the rhythm. And, man, things could line up for a team like the Leafs. Honestly, I, I do think that this – I like this scenario for them. I think it's good for them to be in Toronto for two rounds. Uh, although I, I do wonder about our social distancing practices, if they do go on a run and, mm-hmm. and win a round or win more in a round, you know, are people going to – no. by those things I no mean, no <laughs> they're not but if they win there's gonna be a parade <laughs> oh there oh, there will be an impromptu parade there's so no they question win, if they win a best of five you think the streets are full oh i don't know about the best of five but i think they win no. you know they get in the second or third round and you start to see people i think the first i think people want to see them get into the playoffs because frankly they are not in the playoffs yet do the leafs need to lose for the good of the world <laughs> that'll be a, that'll be a hot take in one of the local yeah we get too. we did you guys a big favor and lost again <laughs> yeah. did we be cheering for oh, i was about to say the panthers let me redact that i don't know but not a canadian team man yeah. i don't know could go real bad you'll um, be making a laugh right near video before you know it no yeah exactly give me give me that might be better just from a troll's perspective no it wouldn't <laughs> in the record books though this is technically all these teams have made the playoffs correct sort of <laughs> like any any goals scored will go down as playoff stats okay. but but it doesn't affect the playoffs as it pertains to the trade conditions that are out there so so it's, so it's the mid it's a middle meshing area yeah yeah okay I think we're all just going to pretend it didn't happen. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, it sounds that way. Um, Chris, there are so many cool matchups happening here. You know, the one of the, I know that there, you mentioned there are some teams that are not necessarily thrilled to be in this, Montreal being one of them. Um, but, I mean, there's going to be some really fun things. I mean, the round robin's interesting. Philly, Philly Boston, uh, Capitals, Tampa. And if, if, if you've kind of lost track of um, – uh, I know the guys on this call haven't, but basically if you've lost track of why they're doing that round robin, it's to determine the one through four seed. So it's Philly, Boston, Washington, and Tampa on one side. And then in the Western Conference, you've got St. Louis, Colorado, Dallas, and Vegas. And everybody else has the best of five playing. Um, so I'm going to go through the – I'm just going to go through the matchups here quickly. We've got New York versus Carolina. That's the Rangers versus Carolina. We've got Florida versus the Islanders. You've got uh, Montreal and Pittsburgh, as Chris mentioned, the Leafs and Columbus. Uh, and then in the uh, West, you've got uh, Chicago, Edmonton, uh, Winnipeg, Calgary, Arizona, Nashville, and Minnesota, Vancouver. So if – and I'm, this is a question for everybody. If you were to pick a series in those round uh, – uh, sorry, not the round robins, the, uh, the best of fives, that really kind of sticks out to you as a series that you think is going to be pretty hotly contested, that you think it's going to be a series that you got to watch – uh, Chris, we'll start with you. What do you think in the Eastern Conference? What do you think is going to be the series to watch? Oh, then you tagged the Eastern Conference on me. I was going yeah. to say I was going to say Calgary, Winnipeg, but well, Cal- okay. So we'll start with the West then, Calgary, Winnipeg. Yeah, I think that one will be legit. Um, you know, it, it was a strange year for both teams. 
but, you know, an opportunity now to go through each other and, and get to the first round officially. Uh, I think that one will be razors thin. Calgary probably has the edge in, in some of it. The, the goaltending goes to Winnipeg. And I just think they'll be hating that series. It just feels like kind of a Western Canadian rivalry. I mean, it's, it's not, maybe we wouldn't think of them as traditional rivals, but certainly they play each other a lot. And, and those all Canadian games, I think, take on a different feel usually during the regular season. And I just expect that one to be uh, some pretty entertaining hockey. Steve, what do you like in the West? We'll go West first. Well, okay, I know this isn't West, but th- there was some talk about like, oh, Carey Price could disrupt the whole Penguins thing uh, from the fifth 12 uh, angle. Dude, the Chicago Blackhawks are not the nicest matchup for the Edmonton Oilers, man. I think Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl could get in there and completely spank them. But the Blackhawks, despite trading Leonard and everything, remember when Leonard was elite for like five minutes and then he got yep. traded to Vegas? Yeah. Uh, like that's I, I look at I look at a team's skill and I look at their chemistry as huge advantages uh, in this best of five thing. A lot of the Chicago core has been together forever and they're insanely skilled. And it's best of five. Edmonton's goaltending is yeah. That one uh, could be very interesting. And they just got gifted a playoff game, essentially. Like they had no chance to make the playoffs, right? No. This core didn't know if they were ever going to play another playoff game together again. And, and I know this, we're saying, there's a debate whether this is playoffs or not, but let's call it playoffs. They get to play meaningful hockey and play the spoiler. And, and you know, we talked about players who could use a rest with Freddie Anderson. Duncan Keith, like that guy had ridiculous miles on him. And now he's just posting all these thirst traps on Instagram, you know, <laughs> looking like Thanos. Like it, Chicago could be a problem, man. They could be a real problem. Jesse, what do you like in the West? That's the uh, that's the matchup I was gonna go with, and I was gonna I was gonna mention Corey Crawford because I don't know where he is right now in terms of his skill set. I know he was below 500; his record was during the regular season, and I just don't know going into that matchup if if he if he shows up, I think Chicago could be a problem. I still think Edmonton comes out of there. I think I picked them actually to come out of the West, but if, Chicago could be a serious problem just to test them. Maybe send it to five games in that first round. I'm going to go with Chris Winnipeg Calgary for me in that uh, in that I just think that they are um, tale of two teams, right? You've got Calgary that should have been great Winnipeg that shouldn't have been. And they both kind of met in the middle. And I think it's going to be sort of fun to see where that ends up. Now let's go with the East. Chris, what matchup do you like in the, in the, uh, in the qualifying round? What's your favorite one to watch? It can be the Leafs if you want it to be, but what one interests you the most? I'd say Carolina Rangers, which, you know, might seem like a hipster pick or something, but um, you know, for me, what's interesting about this one is Carolina is one of the two teams that voted against this playoff format uh, when, when it was met at the NHLPA executive board level. And, you know, they had trouble with the Rangers in the regular season. I think they've had trouble historically against them. Uh, you know, obviously Carolina, I think is a team that actually could go on a run here too. You know, I think that they are sort of a, a sleeping giant as an organization and will probably be a powerhouse if, if they're not already quite there yet. Obviously they're getting Dougie Hamilton back in this series, but you know, we could see Henrik Lundqvist. We're going to see our Tammy Panarin. Um, I just, I think that that matchup's interesting and, and sort of getting a window into the process, knowing that the hurricanes weren't all that thrilled about their draw in the way that this worked out. Uh, yeah. I think just makes that, that a little bit of a, a tasty uh, sidebar for that series. Steve. I was going to say Carolina, New York as well. Uh, they're, they're two pretty young teams. Uh, they're the embodiment of fun. Uh, Carolina is this team that we keep saying, 
oh, they're going to take a step. They're going to take a step. They're going to take a step. And they look good last year. Uh, the Rangers, honestly, I know they were kind of far back. The way they were chugga-chugging along, I picked them on camera before this all shut down to make the playoffs in the East. I just really like that team, love everything they're doing um, with that rebuild. And I just think it'll be a really fun, high-scoring series. All you needed was a pandemic for that prediction to come true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was right. <laughs> Jesse, what about you? I'm going to go somewhere different. I'm going to pick a round-robin matchup. I think Tampa-Boston is going to be the most interesting thing we see on the first round of the East. Because it's, it's okay, it's the best team in the regular season versus the best team over the last two years. And I think Boston's, their top-end players outside of Pasternak are a little on the older end. So I'm excited to see how this little layoff affects those guys. And then you have Tampa, who's just been, it seems like they've been going since this thing has been on pause. They've, it seems like they've all been out of all these practices, just practicing real hard. And I want to see how they come out. So I'm interested to and see. And no Steven Stamkos. Right, no Stamkos. Maybe. Maybe. Injury, maybe. Who knows? Um, I, I, want to, I want to see how that ends up. Maybe Tampa comes in there and they take the number one seed away from Boston, who should have oh, had it by default based on the standings. Yeah, they should have. <laughs> take it away from them, which would be crazy interesting. Um, I'm going to go with Montreal and Pittsburgh. And the reason I think Montreal and Pittsburgh is because um, this could be – the last I, I think this determines where Carey Price is. And and that might be a bold statement. But Carey Price once was the best goalie in the world. Uh, I don't know that he is anymore. But if he is, and he decides to be now, uh, which is, you know, he's he's in his thirties now. He's you know, we're into that contract that, you know, may or may not look good. If Carey Price is the Carey Price that we knew. Olympic gold medal carry price. Um, dragging the Montreal Canadiens to wherever they were going to go carry price. The Montreal Canadiens could upset a lot of people. Now, I know that if, you know, Max Domi is still uh, unsure yet, they're going to take seven to 10 days to figure out whether he's going to be there. I mean, 17 goals in 70 games this year. That's an important part for a team that doesn't score a lot of goals. But to me, if you have carry price potentially shutting down Malkin and Crosby, and I know very well that it could go completely the other way. What a story. And if he gets hot, when Carey Price gets hot, he's almost unbeatable. The question is, can he get hot like he used to anymore? And That's what the, I don't know, and I think this series is going to say a lot. There was that interesting little tidbit. I don't know if you saw this, CJ, uh, going around of, uh, I think it was what Crosby's been doing over the past couple of weeks and Malkin just messaging the rest of his teammates like, you better be ready. You only have so many chances to win the Stanley Cup, but we're going to go for it. And <laughs> – a lot of the reaction to it, and I kind of agreed with it, was imagine being locked in a hotel with that person. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's one thing to have him as your teammate, and you can, like, escape from him, and you only got to deal with him a couple hours a day. Imagine you're locked in the same building as that guy for two months. You could see how Phil Kessel and him maybe didn't get along. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of a different personality clash there. Um, speaking of which, and I think it's fun, we should, we should shout out the Coyotes because they are, they are in, the, uh, in the best of five. Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel both have underplayed uh, what we thought that they were going to be, and I think what the Coyotes were hoping they were going to be. Is this an opportunity for, for Taylor Hall? I mean, this is going to be a tough free agency for him. Is this a, an opportunity for him to recoup some money? Um, and do you see them hitting kind of the reset on their, on their season, Chris? Because it was a little up and down. You know, they had some really good successful moments and then sort of fell out of it. 
Well, yeah, and they get a reprieve too. I mean, they were far from a guarantee to make the playoffs. So they, they were still in the race, but they were on the wrong end of the race. Um, you know, I think for Taylor Hall, that's going to be awesome. Remember, he, he just had his first playoff appearance a couple years ago in New Jersey. Uh, so it's not something he's had a lot of experience at. I think it lasted five games in a series with Tampa. So, you know, when you, you play as long as he has, I think just to even get into those games, if you can even put the free agency aside for a period of time here, it's just that's going to be great for him. And, um, you know, I don't know if he can get his money back. It, it's This is going to be the strangest free agency we've ever seen. Ever. I, I, I'm not saying it'll be Taylor Hall, but there's going to be someone that just takes a one- or two-year deal that, that typically would be signing for six. Um, just because I think that it's probably a sensible bet to get, leave your options open to become a free agent again, but it could mean you move once and you got to move again. In Taylor's case, he had to move in season. You know, I'm sure he would prefer um, to, to get a little bit of security if he could, but you know, that's going to limit the number of teams that are bidding for him. And so, you know, whether it's him or Alex Petrangelo, I mean, we're, we probably don't want to get to the off season yet before we've even seen if the playoffs happen. But uh, I think that this is like that if you love – stuff that doesn't happen on the ice in hockey, the next year is going to be bananas. Because uh, you have an expansion draft, you have a flat salary cap, you have the uncertainty that I think everyone's going to be feeling their way around the new CBA and some of the rules. And you just don't have a lot of teams that can go out there and inflate the market. Uh, and so, you know, I think we're, we'll see some crazy trades and uh, certainly free agency is going to be tough for, for guys like Taylor Hall and, and, Alex Petrangelo, but, you know, they're still the best players available at their position. They're still going to make out quite well. I don't want to talk about the Leafs offseason yet, but uh, I, I did read a very funny article on sportsnet.ca about, uh, uh, from Ian McIntyre about the Canucks situation and how, you know, this is supposed to be them entering a golden era and all they can think about is all the terrible contracts they've signed the last three summers that everybody said were terrible at the time. And now, now given the world that we're in, almost impossible to unload some of these deals and it means guys like Stetcher and Tanev and that sort of thing just may have to walk and uh and you know they've got new deals I think coming for Pedersen in a couple of seasons or another one more season and there's they're in some serious trouble already with the cap yeah they're in jail um <laughs> you know I think that the, the the concern around that team is legit uh I mean it, there's two ways of looking at this they have two of the best brightest young players in the game so they have the hard part, you know, on their right. roster. This is where the Leafs were before they had their key guys signed, is that everyone's like, oh, that's going to be a huge problem. And I'm like, yeah, but it's the problem every team wants. Like, they're going to be arguing between do we pay him $10 million or $11 million a year, and it's because he's worth it. Uh, it's, it's not because, um, you know, they're, they're not making it up with other things. The, the problem, of course, is that making that all work, how do you create the space? You'll probably see them entertain a buyout maybe in this offseason season certainly might have to be on the losing end of some trades just to shed salary. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you have talent, talent wins. And we've already seen that Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes are more than capable of dragging along a, a roster that has some significant holes and, and, you know, taking them to some special places. So, you know, I think that Vancouver's in a, a great spot on one hand because they have those players. It's going to be a rocky, difficult job for the front office. Um, you know, they have a bonus overage this year. I don't know what the number is, but they, they basically spent over the cap in the 2019-20 season. So you can add that to all the other problems. You know, and the cap recapture and everything else. And a cap recapture. And next year, Pedersen's still in his entry-level deal. And if he finishes in the top 10 in goals or goals per game, which is very possible, he gets a $2 million bonus added on. You know, yeah, it's, it's not pretty. And so, 
yeah, everyone that's out there getting angry about this and keeping sports radio in business, it, there's a reason for it. It's not, it's not invented. It's not, it's not a problem that's coming like in the distant future here. It's, it's as soon as this summer tournament's over. So you know, maybe they want to make good use of the, the time they have now because it's going to be hard to put a good team around those, those core pieces with some of the other issues they got. One of the things you said uh, maybe a couple months ago was once all these games start uh, getting going, bet on a team with a lot of Swedes. Uh, were Elias Pettersson, because their arenas were open basically the whole time, were Elias Pettersson and Jakob Markstrom practicing together in Sweden? I can't remember the answer to this. No, I'm pretty sure oh. Pettersson wasn't able to skate much, when, if at all, when he was over there. Was um, wasn't he? No, it was more he was in a part of the country that didn't have arenas open. Oh. Uh, a lot of the guys that were near uh, Stockholm and Gothenburg were skating, but those that live in the north, you know, like Victor Hedman went back at one point. I don't think he was able to skate much. So, you know, you're going to have to look at where your Swedes uh, spent their, their time in quarantine if you're going to take me up on my, my tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> my first thought was William Nylander, and then I saw he was in North America, and I'm like, ah, come on, that's not yeah, as fun. He, it, I think he was walking, like, the Sunset Strip without a shirt on with Alex Nylander. Like, he, was, I, he seemed to be thriving, seemed to be having a great time. Oh, he was uh, having hot, hot boy summer for sure. And, and sorry, to, to, um, there, it, was a, it, was a, it was a consistent point brought up with Taylor Hall, just to go back to what you said. So if, I, if, if there was a goalie out there who had a 925 save percentage last year and a 928 save percentage this year, you'd probably call him one of the best goalies in the league, right? Darcy Kemper. Yep. If, if we're looking for monkey wrenches in this little tournament, that could be a big one because his injury killed their season and it just happened to sort of line up with Taylor Hall joining that team. Interesting. Well, it'll be very, very fun to watch. I'm excited about it. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Um, Chris, thank you as always for your time. It's so nice because I think the last time we talked to you, it was like, what does the next 8 million years look like? Uh, and, <laughs> and now it's like, hey, we're, you know, we're a couple weeks away potentially here, assuming everything goes well. So, I know that things are going to get crazy busy for you, and I know that they were this week. So thank you for carving out this much time before you got to go back to work for real tomorrow for us and for this audience. We really, really appreciate it. For real, for real. Anytime, man. Like, honestly, I had some dark days during this thing. This thing was difficult, and I shouldn't complain. Like, I should say, first off, I kept my job. Luckily, my health has, has, has been good and that of my family. And so I know there's a lot of people out there with worse off, but this was this was difficult. And so – I feel that's why I feel so great now. The weather's turned here the last few weeks. Little Leo has graced us with his presence. That's we got right. games on the schedule. I mean, it just feels like holy crap, this is happening. Uh, so let's let's hope it, again that everyone does this safely and that uh, we get to watch just a crap ton of hockey here the next few weeks. Amazing, and we'll uh, hopefully we'll hopefully check in with you. Although I don't expect that we're gonna have much, uh, we're gonna get to uh, connect with you because you are gonna be so busy. But we'll be watching uh, and uh, and cheering along. So Chris, thanks so much. Great to see you again. Great to talk to you again. The uh, the official or unofficial fourth member of the show. Let's be honest, Chris Johnson <laughs> from Sportsnet. Uh, follow along at Reporter Chris on Twitter. I mean, if he's not, I mean, like really, he's he is like the fourth member. We just we're just not allowed to hire him. Yeah. <laughs> so Chris, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to book him on cameo if we want him over the next couple months 100 100 percent. but chris <laughs> thanks for your time man we really appreciate it no problem i'm just like the guy that drops in every once in a while plays a little bass and gets out of here yeah <laughs> i love it i love it
The Steve Dangle Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve underscore Dangle, at Adam W-Y-L-D-E, and at Jesse Blake. Brought to you by Panago Pizza. Order at Panago.com and stuff your face with deliciousness. Connection complete.